I believe the people are ready to receive. So let's do this. Let's do this. You're listening to Cross Culture Podcast where Prophet Angel Caleb takes you behind the scenes to unlock the supernatural in the natural and the natural in the supernatural. This is kingdom living in everyday life. This is journeying with the King of glory. This is leading you to the feet of Jesus. This is Prophet Uncut. This is Cross Culture. Hello, hello to everybody. This is Prophet Angel Caleb and Welcome to Cross Culture Profit Uncut episode number three. I'm super excited for this episode as um, my spirit is really readied for this. Today I would like to be sharing more on um, my story, my journey, my uh, early beginnings, where where it all began. And so um, here we go. <laughs> For those who know me in this season of my life, you know, you're probably more familiar with a woman of God, you know, a servant of the Lord, a minister who is seeming pretty put together in terms of how people describe me. They'll, you know, often describe me as someone who's bold um, or she's a strong woman of God. Uh, She's pretty well put together. Um, You know, she knows who she is, you know, and there's just a, a lot of a lot of different ways in which I would often hear people describe me. But what I would like to tell you is the woman that you see today or the woman that you're hearing speak today, the woman that is ministering, the prophet of the Lord, the minister of God, the preacher woman, um, this me was not always there. The woman of God that you see today had died some years ago. She was dead some years ago she had died um she was not there before but she is there today and and i want to share more on my story in terms of how that happened and 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 what that what that has to do with this um whole notion of christian culture and cross culture um if i may take you back to the very beginning um i was pretty much born and raised into a christian household my um my parents you know they're they're believers my father is a believer my mother is a believer and not just believers they were actually already ministering they were already ministers um at that time born and raised pretty much into the christian world you know i was spending more time as a child at church than i was at home um but i i knew how, how to do church if I may say it like that, I knew how to do church. Um, I was somebody who was able to do church with her eyes closed, hands tied behind her back. If you, if you want somebody who knows how to do church, I'm your girl. I was born and raised a PK, a preacher's kid. Um, shout out to all the PKs out there. Those of you who are probably not familiar with that term, uh, PK is a uh, uh, abbreviation for preacher's kid. It is... Um, being a PK is a whole other world, you know, so shout out to all the PKs out there. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about when I say we're raised differently. You know, we're in, uh, we're submerged in a different world. We're um, exposed to so many different things from a very young age. Um, and we're raised with a different standard, if I, if I can say it like that, you know. I believe there was 
a strong um, expectation. There was a strong expectation from from people all around us, you know, from family, from congregate, from the congregation, from other Christian communities, you know, um, wherever we went, where you know, wherever we were taken, you know, all eyes are pretty much on us. You know, they want to know how we're doing, uh, how we're behaving, how we're studying. You know, um, just everything. Everything was pretty much open. You know, we were in a in an environment where privacy was not really a privilege that we had you know as much as we try to uh, operate in a, in a healthy way of keeping what needs to be private private you know it becomes hard as as ministers we're, we're pretty much in the public eye especially as a pk there's such a, a level of pressure that's put on us because we're kind of the ideal now right if ministers want to demonstrate to the congregation what a, a true Christ-like family life is to look like, a Christian family is to look like. Well, hopefully they can demonstrate that through their own household. You know, so how um, the, their children are raised, how their children behave, how their ch children are living. I mean, privacy was an issue. We grew up with all eyes on us. Everything was spoken about. Our highs, our lows, our mess ups. Everything was was uh, was shared. Often <laughs> spoken about. It was uh, known. You know, if if they didn't hear it from us, they're gonna hear it from somebody somewhere who we probably don't even know. You know. So um, yeah, I uh, I think from from a young age, I I started to become more. I wouldn't say anxious, maybe the word is hungry. I really hungered for privacy, you know, I really wanted um, my space, you know, I just, um, I mean, I know if when I say this, people don't believe it, but I, I am, I'm quite an introvert. I like my space. I like my privacy. Um, I don't like people all up in my affairs, you know, um, and so, I struggled, uh, you know, I struggled uh, quite a bit here and there, you know, in different seasons, childhood and um, adolescence, trying to navigate through this whole Christian world as a PK, as um, someone still figuring herself out, you know, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, more about what my identity is, what my call is, what my purpose is, what this life is all about, you know, while having to maintain this level of, you know, Christian perfectionism, you know, um, it, it was a strange world. It was a strange world. Um, I think the best way to describe it is role play. I became somebody who started to role play because as I just mentioned, I, I was still in my search, right? Search about everything. I was still in my search about myself, the faith, um, just life in general, you know? So while I'm out here trying to figure all that out, um, I felt that I had to just sort of put on a, a, a costume, a mirage of having figured it out, you know, as, as a PK. Um, 
I, I bore this burden that, that was self-imposed. Nobody put it on me. I was trying to, um, you know, navigate myself, you know, navigate my own journey. I was trying to avoid negative consequences. I was trying to avoid um, just the backlash, you know, or the gossip or the, uh, just the disappointments that, you know, um, would often be the result of seeing, you know, a, a PK being less than perfect or, or whatnot. So yeah, I, I was carrying a lot of self-imposed burdens. And by the time I was maybe 12 or 13, you know, I was, I was, um, I was struggling a lot because I found myself split between these two worlds where on one side, um, I was just, you know, going through the motions, motions of this Christian culture, right? Um, I used to just sing at the church. I used to lead the kids choir. I used to teach dance, you know, and I was doing the whole, whole shebang, you know, um, I was, um, the music tech, I was the media tech, you know, um, PKs out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? So I was becoming, you know, pretty good, pretty well versed at all of these roles, you know, but on the other side, um, I was becoming empty. I was becoming emptier. I was losing, I was losing at this unseeming battle. I felt that I was in, I felt that I was battling to try to figure out who I was and I was failing miserably at it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> as soon as I get there, it hits the gut because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard for me to talk about because, you know, it was a very difficult season and all that as much as it was. No, it, it just hits the gut because it reminds me again so much of the goodness of God. <laughs> It reminds me again, once again, of why, why I am where I am today, why I'm doing what I'm doing, um, why I'm doing this, you know, why, um, why I'm a wild lover of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, um, coming back to the battle, yeah, you know, I was in a, in a, I was in a place where already as a teenager, we're trying to really figure out who we are. You know, there's a whole identity issue, right? That's when you're starting to, to come out of your shell. You're starting to, you know, figure yourself out to some degree, you know, and um, I was overwhelmed. I was really overwhelmed at that, at that age already. I'm, uh, I was, I was born a thinker you know that's just who I am I think a lot I process things a lot I feel things very deeply I mean I understand today that was part of the gifting you know these are these are specific things that God put inside of me he's instilled inside of me they are gifts you know for um you know a divine purpose a divine call a higher calling but of course I didn't see it then I didn't understand it then I was all I knew is words mattered man you know the words that i would hear really impact me whether they're you know positive words or negative words you know um good things said or bad things said it would hit me hard it would hit me hard and already i think by the age of 13 i had been through quite a bit of <laughs> um hits from every which way you know 
um, as I entered my teenage years and started high school, you know, I, I started to go through a season where um, I started to lose my self-worth. Um, I had gone to a, a high school where I didn't, I, was, I didn't know anybody else in that school. Um, I was having hard, hard time finding my place, finding a circle, finding friends, you know, and then fitting in, which is strange to me because prior to that, you know, um, the younger version of me, I was very free-spirited. I connected with people easily, you know. Um, I was a bit of a social butterfly, you know. If there's new people in school, I was the first one to go approach them and talk to them and befriend them. And and so here I was in a complete opposite world now. And um, I was struggling, you know. I was struggling hard. And, and being the stubborn-minded adolescent that I was, I was determined, no, you know, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make it work. It has to. You know, that's all I knew. It has to work out. We, it has to work out. I need to, I need to make this work. And yeah, before I knew it, I was getting into this spiral of changing myself. And um, yeah, really just trying to fit in. You know, I would try everything. You know, I would hide. I would even try to hide parts of myself, you know, the realities of who I really was, you know, um, and try to behave in, in ways that I thought people wanted me to behave or speak in ways that I thought people wanted me to speak and dress in ways that I thought, you know, would help me fit in. And, and I, I went through a whole whirlwind of trying to just fit in. Here I was, I was already role-playing as a PK, right? Here I am, I'm already an expert at role-playing. So it's just, it came to me pretty naturally to role-play and I was trying my fine best to role play and, and here's the thing you know my whole desire was to keep people pleased you know I didn't want to disappoint people I didn't want to see rejection I didn't want to see people disapprove me and my goal was that you know I was living oh man this is hitting hard <laughs> yeah you know I was um I was trying so hard man I was trying so hard to not disappoint people. I wanted to keep people pleased with me, you know, and yeah, it, it wasn't working. It really wasn't working. And the more I tried, the more miserable I became, the more I lost sight of myself, the more I lost me. I started to lose sight of who I was. I started to lose sight of what I loved. You know, I started to get so confused. I didn't know who I was anymore. I, I hit this point. And I think that was really the worst point in my life. Um, I believe it's the worst point in anybody's life is when you get to that place where you don't know who you are anymore because you were so busy trying to live and be everything that you assume the people around you want you to be. You know, the moment you lose sight of yourself, the genuine, authentic you, um, mess and all. There's not much more life left there, <laughs> you know, um, role-playing as a PK, role-playing as an adolescent in school, role-playing every which way, role-playing in my family, in my household. I hit rock bottom. You know, I eventually got to this place where I really had lost sight of myself. Um, I hit rock bottom. I got to a place where, um, I was so broken, I was so hurt, 
um, rejection, it just hit me hard because as I said earlier and I've said before, um, words are so important to me. You know, I valued words so much. So, you know, just hearing words like you're not good enough or you're not beautiful enough just would hit me so hard and tear me, tear me down, you know. Um, just hearing words of disappointment, you know, and disapproval would wreck me. And I got to a place where, you know, now looking back, I can tell you, you know, the enemy was using these sounds of um, just degrading words and degrading sounds to tear me apart. And I would constantly hear these words just replay in my mind. You know, you're not good enough. You're not ever going to be good enough. Um, you're not really needed. You're not really wanted. You don't really make a difference. Your presence doesn't make a difference. Oh, I heard all of it. And it would constantly be just playing in my mind. But here's the amazing thing. Because I was a church girl and I was, uh, I was deep in Christian culture. I knew how to maintain a very strong front. I was the girl that kept everybody smiling, you know, especially among our church community and um, family even. Nobody knew. Nobody knew I was like, I was the happy girl, I was the joyful girl, I was the laughing girl, I was the smiling girl, but little did they know that in that season of my life, I got to a, to such a, a, a deep place of brokenness that I would come home and I would, you know, um, lock myself in my bedroom and just cry myself to sleep every night. And I would just cry out into my pillow and I think there's no lower place to ever be in life than to be in that place where you feel that not even your cry should be heard. I would literally just take my pillow and I would, I would press it against my face. I would hold it hard against my face and I would just cry out. I would just cry out in pain and, um, and I would f fall asleep crying and then wake up the next morning and, you know, walk out of the house and nothing ever happened you know and repeat that the, the, the next night and this went on for a good year year and a half I was crying myself to sleep every single night I was in so much pain and oftentimes the hurt that you go through the pain that you go through will eventually turn to some form of anger you know and that's what it was I became angry at first I'll be honest you know it was towards people like I was I was searching high and low to find people to blame you know I was mad <laughs> and I'll tell you I want I want to tell you why I was mad because you see I'm a thinker right I was a thinker so I was thinking this whole thing through and this is why this hurt now started to become anger. I was, I was mad because what I was experiencing did not make sense according to this whole Christian culture that I was an expert at. Here's what my, my, my issue was. My issue was this. I said, here I am as a young teenager and I'm trying my fine best to live out, you know, this quote unquote good Christian life according to what I thought it was supposed to look like 
I was doing my my fine best. You know, I was trying to behave the best I could. I was trying to be a disciplined child. I was trying my best to obey my parents. I was attending church. I was part of the ministry. I was doing the choir. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was a, a kind person. Um, so I thought, right? This is all, you know, a self perspective I had. You know. I thought I was a good person. I wasn't explicitly trying to do harm to people. You know,、um, I'm trying to live out、um, a, a quote-unquote good Christian life according to what the so-called Bible, the so-called Christian faith, ca- calls us for. Yet I'm I'm seeming so much more miserable than many of these other young people around me that are. Outrightly denying God, they are denying faith. They don't believe in anything.、Um, in fact, they love their sin. They love to live a sinful life, you know. Yet they seem to have something I don't have. They seem happy, you know. There's something they have that I don't have. So why then this faith? It didn't make sense to me. I was hurting. I was in pain. It didn't make sense to me how I could. Get to this point of feeling that I've reached this form of perfection in terms of this Christian living, and yet be more miserable than I've ever been in those few fourteen years of my life. I remember one night I got back, you know, home from I don't remember from where, but we just got back home, and I just went into my bedroom and I was exhausted. I was exhausted. I mean. It is exhausting, role play. It is an exhausting thing to live, live every day, trying to impress and please everybody around you, and never see the results that you're hoping for. Never seeming good enough. Never seeing, never seeing the results that you're hoping for. Never seeing the breakthrough that you're hoping for in terms of relationships or, or value or acceptance. I was really undone. That night, I was、um, I was just crying. I was breaking down in my bedroom, and I just let out this prayer. You know, I say a prayer, but I say that loosely. You know, because it wasn't really a formal, typical, you know, religious prayer. It was more so just the cries, the sincere cries of a fourteen-year-old who has hit. Rock bottom, you know, and、um, I just I said these words out loud. I said, you know, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're 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 real anymore. I just I don't know. I don't know if I'm speaking to Buddha. I don't know if I'm speaking to Allah. I don't know if I'm speaking to some other God out there. I don't know if, if you know Jesus. It's you. I don't know if it's you, or I don't know if I'm just speaking to, you know, the ceiling, <laughs> and my voice is not gonna go anywhere past. The, these walls or the, the the ceiling, but if you are real, you're gonna have to show me something because I can't do this anymore. I can't. This faith thing is is it's like this loose thread is holding on by just a thread, and if if you don't show me something, I don't think I could keep believing anymore because my my minister parents have told me to believe, or because they've showed me that they are believers, or because I'm surrounded by、um, believers, a Christian community. I I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I was dead. I was undone. And that night, <laughs> that night changed the whole trajectory of the rest of my life.
I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Um, to this day, when I share my story, it always hits this deep place, you know. Um, I heard a voice that, that night, and that voice came from within me, but I knew it wasn't me, it wasn't my voice. And I heard these words, daughter, I was always with you. <laughs> daughter, I was always with you, but now you are going to know who I am. And I had this visual in front of my eyes as I was hearing the, these words. And I saw this vision of a little girl with her back to this, this man and wearing white, you know, and he had his hands, you know, reaching out like this and one hand on my shoulder, you know, when you're trying to get somebody to turn around. And I neglected the sound, you know, it was just, it was too much for me. It didn't seem possible, right? Here I was 14 years, pretty much from a baby. I was in the church culture, the Christian culture. I never saw something like this, never heard of something like this, you know. Um, I thought I was losing my mind, so I just, I was weeping on the floor prior to this. I just remember dusting myself off, getting off the floor. I'm like, no, you need to, you need to get to sleep, man. Like, you're hearing things. You're hearing things now. This is not real. So those of you out there who's probably listening to me and hearing this for the first time, and you're probably thinking, this is not real. Yes, listen, I get you because I was saying the same thing. This is not real. But, see, that's the thing about the love of Jesus. It is a reckless love. It's a, it's a, a reckless love. He stops at nothing. This love is ruthless. It will go after you. And it was coming after this dead 14-year-old little girl in the confines of her little bedroom. In the confines of her little Christian household, he came and found me. And I heard the voice again a second time as I was trying to crawl back into bed. The exact same words again with that vision right in front of me. Little girl with this man behind me, you know, in white, with one hand out, one hand on my shoulder, just gently laying hands on my shoulder, saying, Daughter, I was always with you but now you are going to know who I am. And there was like a turning around in that vision. That girl was turning around to see who this man was for the first time. Broke down. I was, you can imagine 14 years old. This is a supernatural happening. Confused, but so aware. And it didn't stop there. Following that, I heard the words. So if I rewind a little bit, um, I actually, prior to this, quote-unquote prayer I had taken my children's Bible my my Bible that I had it was my childhood Bible I had thrown it across my bedroom it had landed on the other side of um, my bed it had landed on the edge of my bed and it was open you know and so following having heard the voice the second time I heard the the words daughter you threw your bible it's open it's open right there i want you to pull that bible to you and i want you to see what's what's on it i want you to read what's there <laughs> i'll tell you every fiber 
every fiber inside of me wanted nothing to do with this. Every fiber inside of me wanted this to stop. I was scared. I was undone. I was, it was too much. You know, this is just surreal beyond human comprehension. That's exactly what it was, you know, and, but you see, here's the thing. When God shows up, he, he shows up. There's just something about when God shows up, it grips a part of you that is so deep that even your your logical mind not being able to catch up cannot stop, cannot stop it. I often used to ask myself, why did you do it, girl? Like, why did you reach over and pull that Bible? What made you do that? Because you being the logical person you are, you being the thinker that you are, would never, never want to do something like and I know the answer. It's it's my soul longing. It was a grip in my soul. When God shows up, He doesn't come for a surface touch. He doesn't come for a surface interaction. He doesn't come for just this physical encounter, physical manifestation. Everything He does is because He cares for your soul. My soul was gripped. He touched my soul that night and something in my soul just was drawn. Oh, how the Lord truly does care for our soul. What a powerful testimony that reveals the most beautiful love of Christ that pursued each and every single one of us with absolute reckless abandon. My, my. Precious listeners, be sure to tune in next week to part two of Cross Culture Prophet Uncut, The Encounter. Don't miss it. This is Kingdom Living in Everyday Life. This is journeying with the King of Glory. This is leading you to the feet of Jesus. This is the Diary of a Prisoner of Love, Calvary Love. Brace yourselves. This is Prophet Uncuts.